<laughs> Let's try that one again. Good morning, everybody. My name is Larry Jacobs. <laughs> this is 3K12 Education Talk Radio on the Thursday before Halloween. Hi, everybody. It is October 27th, and we have Professor Susan Shapiro with us, or Shapiro. She's going to tell me how she wants me to pronounce that, Shapiro or Shapiro, New York or Philadelphia. I'll get into that in a few minutes. Okay, she's an associate professor of early childhood and special ed at Turo Graduate School of Education, okay? And she is the author of a new book entitled Interpreting COVID-19 Through Turbulence Theory Perspectives and Cases from Early Childhood and Special Ed. In other words, we're going to try to measure the impact, okay, of COVID-19, okay, on what happened in schools and not particularly, okay, those who are experiencing some difficulties early childhood, special ed, poverty, et cetera, et cetera. Susan's going to be a great guest and she will be pushing the book as we go through this, too. Maybe you'll want to read it, et cetera, et cetera. It's great. We're going to archive the show over. Oh, my name's Larry Jacobs. Did I mention that? Okay. All right. And this is Pre-K-12 Education Talk Radio. We're going to archive the show over at ace-ed.org, ace-ed.org, which is where everything we do is located. We'll archive the show, our SEL stuff, our teacher retention stuff and everything we do on equity at our American Consortium for Equity and Education. Again, ACE-ED.org. And without further ado, here's the one and only Susan Shapiro or Shapiro, Susan. Hello. Hi, it's Susan Shapiro. Thanks for having me on. Shapiro, thank you. You know, in Philly, (laughs) are you from Philly or New York? Where are you from? I'm from Philly, yeah. I'm from Philly, too. You do a Shapiro. Oh, wow. there you go. So I do a Shapiro, and I'm from West Philly. Where are you from? I'm from Center City. Center Are you living there now? No, no. I live in uh, Queens now. That's what I thought. Okay. So well, you lived, grew up in Center City, huh? Yeah. Really? I'm a Philly girl. Yep. We, I went to Overbrook High. Are you kidding me? I'm a West Philly guy. <laughs> All right. Okay. Great to have you. Now it's especially wonderful to have you on the show. It was wonderful before. Now it's even more wonderful. So let me before we go any further, is there anything sports wise happening in Philadelphia this week that you are aware of? I hate to say I don't know much. I just know about you know Gritty this. and the Philly Fanatic. Thank you. And you do know that the Phillies are in the World Series starting tomorrow. You do know that. Well, I know now. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. Susan, it's a pleasure to have you here. It really is. Okay. I want to say the name of your book again. Okay. Interpreting COVID-19 Through Turbulence Theory Perspectives. This is a long title. Cases from Early yeah. Childhood Special Ed. And I looked up. I'm not familiar with the term. Okay. You're going to explain it to me, Professor. Okay. I'm going to read this, okay? Turbulence okay. theory allows those who are initiating change as well as those within it educational settings that are impacted by transitions to operate in a setting that openly engages with such themes as security, economics, technology, and environment as a way to both understand and respond to the processes of change, Okay. That's the definition I got off the internet, okay? Professor, <laughs> Dr. Shapiro, tell me what's going on here. What, do you, what are we talking about? Well, th- this term was, uh, in terms of education, was uh, coined by uh, Dr. Stephen Gross. And 
he was flying one day and the plane hit some turbulence and it got him thinking about the way that schools work. So when you're in a school, sometimes you've got a little bit of turbulence. You know, there might be some grumblings from the parents about something going on. Um, and then sometimes you have an extreme amount of turbulence. You have, you know, when, when the mask mandates came down, when the vaccine mandates came down, we really had to deal with severe and extreme turbulence. Now, what's interesting is I was on a plane about a few weeks ago, and I was in the back of the plane, and I felt a huge amount of sway. And the people in the front were just drinking their drinks and having their little snacks. <laughs> right, right. They didn't seem disturbed at all. And just like schools, sometimes a school leader or a teacher may be feeling huge amounts of turbulence, whereas the kids in the classroom don't know anything's going on. Wow. So we call that positionality, and that's that's a wonderful way I think of looking at crisis in schools. And when you when you look at it, I'm, I'm being serious here. When you look at, at crisis in schools like that, what 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 do you hope to happen? I want to just get get all this together, Professor, so we can get this. All right. What when what is the purpose of knowing that? And I'm not being funny when I ask that question. No, I mean what it, is the it's it's a lot of times our natural instinct is whoa, no, this turbulence is too scary. We've got to stop it. But from personal experiences, I found that's not always the case. Sometimes in order to have people be stakeholders in what's going on, you really need them to feel the level, level of turbulence that you're going wow, through. Wow, that's great. So that's great. it's important. In, yeah. Keep going, please. It's important to... Oh, I'm sorry. And I, and I also, you know, it's also good to be able to look back and say, where were we on this turbulence scale? How did, how did we handle it and where were we? And were there ways to lower it or were there ways to bring other people on board? So when you go through a crisis, usually things are happening, events are cascading, but to be able to have reflective praxis is just so valuable, especially in yeah. something like a crisis. Yeah, boy, you're not kidding. And speaking of crises, if I may, Susan, <clears throat> as you know, the NAEP scores, the NAEP scores came out this week, and they were absolutely mm -hmm. horrendous, okay? And we're coming out of the pandemic, and, of course, they're holding which is fine, the pandemic responsible for this, okay? Incredible uh, deflation of scores. Uh, what, what, how's turbulence fit into that? But this is really well, – I'm so glad you're I on mean, the show, I, Susan. Thank you for getting oh, in well, touch with you. me. I love having a conversation like this. And get, <laughs> it's like extra help for my professor. I love it. Keep going. <laughs> well, you know, what I find so interesting is we're still holding up those old markers of success uh, for children who have just been through huge amounts of crisis and trauma. And instead of saying, where are we now, as an entire world, it's not like the whole world hasn't experienced this. We want things to just bounce right back to where they were. And it's not going to. The world has shifted significantly, and especially in terms of education. That's right. That's right. So we have to look at it differently now. We can't keep going back to those old static test scores. It's another um, marker of success. And maybe looking at the whole child as mm -hmm. opposed to test scores, mm -hmm. would be something that would be very valuable for us. Mm -hmm. it, it's amazing. So in other words, we're looking at the, uh, exactly what you said, the impact, okay, mm -hmm. of turbulence on, on learning, okay, and especially looking at it after the, after the pandemic years, and that's what your book is about. How did you do the research? What did you do? Well, what, 
what happened was I was teaching during the pandemic. And like everyone else, my classes all went virtual. And I logged on as the first day, and I saw this sea of faces in front of me. And they were <laughs> terrified. And, you know, we had a discussion board that came up, and um, the discussion board was how do you use vocabulary in your classroom? And I looked at all these faces, and I thought, these people don't want to talk about vocabulary. Their oh. whole life is turned on its ear. And so I made the discussion board, tell me what's going on in your home life and your classrooms. And this incredible story started to come out for my students. And so I opened it up, and I asked them to write a piece about uh, a turbulent experience that was going on during the pandemic for them. And this is where these cases came from. A majority wow. of them came from my students who, it was, it was history in the making and something yeah. hopefully we can learn from in the future. And these were all graduate students in education, right? They were either graduate students in education or they were academics in education who were teaching. And a lot of them weren't just teaching, they were parents. Wow. As well as being students, as well as being teachers. And, and you know what you just said was amazing. You, well, you, you opened up you look, opened up that first Zoom meeting and you looked at, quote, terrified faces, uh, i.e., what's going on here, okay? And it, it, it's the same thing they experienced when they opened up that Zoom on their classes. What the hell's going on here? Absolutely. What do we do now? And, and by the way, that same fear was probably in your eyes and in and, and their eyes to their students. It, it's absolutely, it, it's an amazing thing. And when you think about it, the impact of this and this whole idea of turbulence, I really like this. Boy, you're a good professor. I like this, uh, Dr. Shapiro. <laughs> I really do. Okay. One, uh, one observation about your book is that there were high discrepancies in the way families experienced the pandemic. Okay. Especially, you wrote me, families experiencing poverty okay and we have heard those terrible stories you know where there's no broadband or maybe one computer for 19 kids okay in one large building now gets unbelievable okay talk about the differences and how it impacted everything what you learn yeah i mean it was it was crazy i mean three million u.s students just sort of disappeared during the pandemic yeah and yeah. it really showed these inequities because you know, lots of kids could log on. They had computers at home, um, but lots of kids couldn't. And they were scrambling right. not only to find devices, but schools were places that they were checked in on, where they received food, um, and where they received right. security. Suddenly all this was all gone. And so these kids were scrambling, families were scrambling, and a lot of families just sort of disappeared. The stress was too much. Um, the families who were there, you know, if you do have multiple children in your family, you know, they're all in one room. They could all be in one room using one tablet, and the, the parents want to use the tablet as well to get online and do their job. So yeah. it really showed the flaws in the system, and crisis really tends to do that. Um, my dissertation was on daycare directors during 9-11 and the experiences wow. that they had when they were in close proximity wow. to the building wow. falling. And Whoa. one of the things that we learned, yeah, it was, it was quite, a, quite an experience. Yeah. Um, I can only imagine. But, but you're, you're not a, you're not, well, at that point, you're not an education professor. You're a psychologist. Okay, wow. Yeah, and you're, you're also, you know, responsible suddenly for all of these children's lives. Yeah. And Oof. these um, – these teachers and these directors, the ones who did really well were the ones who had community assets, were the ones where 
the fire department had come to talk. The local hospital had come to talk. Um, the families were involved. And so when the crisis happened, they were able to rely on the fact that everyone knew where they were and could get them to safety. The schools that didn't have that built-in community around them were really on their own. And they were the ones kind of running through the streets with the kids. The ones who had these wonderful community assets, a fire truck came, picked up all of the kids, took them over to, um, to the waterfront. There, there was a, a boat that was waiting for them and took them over to New Jersey. So, you know, it wow. just shows that the more prepared we are just in terms of community outreach, making, you know, connections, the more successful we'll be during these times right. of crisis. It's how true. And, you know, your book, uh, to me – talks about something else. Okay, we're going to get into more details with your stuff, but I, I have to ask you about this. You said a lot of the kids disappeared, okay, because mm-hmm. it was so turbulent times, okay? We lost track, okay? Things didn't yeah. work out. But also a lot of teachers disappeared, you know, and the, your turbulent yeah. theory, okay, had, although I know you, you concentrated on the students, but just th- talk about how the, the turbulence affected educators, and you kind of just did. Okay, because although the kids were shook up that the fire engine did come to pick them up and they were running for their lives, so were the teachers. Okay, of course, yeah. You know, we're not the the teachers aren't wearing capes and flying from home from Krypton every day. Okay, they're just people. And uh, talk about that. Just talk about what what you learned about turbulence theory and the teachers. Well, I mean, we've seen this huge amount of stress put on teachers just in terms of, you know, we're talking about school shootings. Suddenly, you know, teachers are are superheroes. They're expected to be superheroes, put themselves on the line. Um, You know, when the pandemic happened, they were parents, a lot of them. I I wrote about uh, one of the cases was about a teacher who had a newborn baby. And his wife was ill, and he had to teach his first series of classes with a newborn. So, you know, that balancing act of trying to support your family and support the students. We had other teachers who um, they suddenly found out during the pandemic that their kids weren't going to be receiving the services that they had been depending on. So, you know, you expect the therapist to be coming in, OT people to be coming in, and suddenly you're doing that while you're teaching. Yeah. It's a lot. (laughs) It's it's a tremendous amount. I mean, we talk about this all the time. I don't know whether you heard me say at the beginning, we do a lot of work. We're, we we Our company is called the American Consortium for Equity in Education, but we do a lot of work in about teacher retention. Okay, we are real concerned about teacher retention, all the, yeah. the things we're talking about here. You know, the pressure is so great, okay, and the appreciation level can be fairly low. All right. And it's, 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 it's really, really just tough times. You know, it all boils back down. It's a vicious cycle with social, emotional learning and all, all that sort of stuff. And, and the, what these kids need, it's a very, if I may, to steal from you, it's a very turbulent time in education. You know, it's a very turbulent time. So on that note, Susan, I want to ask you, who, when you write a book like this and you're an academician, you're, you're a professor, who, when you sit down and write this book, who do you write it for? I mean, I know you're doing it I'm for really, yourself, but who who do you write it for? Well, I really wrote this for um, for people to use in the classroom for for higher ed. And the reason I wrote it was, we're always preparing ourselves for the last crisis. We're always saying, you know, when you go to the <laughs> airport, 
they make you yeah. take your shoes off because at one point something happened with your shoes. So yeah, this yeah. is an idea We're of not exactly thinking proactive. Bit, let me put it that way. We exactly. Can be retroactive. Yeah. Yeah. And Go the ahead, thing about going. crisis is you never know where it's coming from and you never know what form it's going to take. But the more practice yeah. people have with what would reading a case and then saying, what would you do in this situation? Would you raise the turbulence? Would you lower the turbulence? How would you handle it? Each time you're thinking outside of the box, you begin to think a little bit more globally and you, you start to think a little bit more about the wider um, effects of crisis. And it's almost like a little practice each time. Um, and it should hopefully spark conversation among teachers and among students so that they can begin to think, what would happen if the unexpected happened? How would I handle it? Maybe not this exact situation, but a situation that's similar or a situation that's not similar, but that involves a level of, of turbulence, a level of crisis. And who's the most successful people when these things happen? So my question, I'm going to ask your question again. Who'd you write it for? And the reason I'm saying that, you, what you just described is a situation that runs, I'm going to call it pre-K-20. Okay? Mm -hmm. You said you wrote it for higher education, but to me what you're saying makes perfect sense for, for, uh, for people in K-12 to understand as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, th this is definitely directed for teachers who are who birthed through high school. The main focus is um, birth through early childhood with a special ed uh, lens because the, the issues that people with um, children with special education uh, needs dealt with were really yeah, unique. Brutal. Brutal. Um, and brutal. brutal. Definitely brutal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, brutal. Not that, not that raising a kid with special ed is, I don't mean it that way, but I mean the situation, okay, concerning COVID and the turbulence that, that happened uh, hit especially, okay, on the on people who needed it the most, who needed things to go yeah. smoothly the most, and that, that includes special ed, okay? No, I just mean, a go into that lack a little of bit services. More. Yeah, go into that. Yeah, I mean, the services disappeared uh, for the most part. No one had Half thought, the time how are still we going, going now? It's brutal now. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I how are we going to do physical therapy? I with the Council of Special Administrators. They're, they're going nuts trying to find people. They're going nuts yeah. trying to find people. Okay. Jeez. You know, we had the thing where everyone loved teachers, and it went for a really short period of time. <laughs> we were, we were the superheroes, and yeah. then it, yeah. it went away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I just, I mean, I, I just don't get it. When when you look at special ed now, okay, and you are pretty much an expert in it, when you look at special ed now post-pandemic, what are you seeing? How do well, you handle it's, this stuff? it's a scrambling to get back to normal, you know, it's, and, and as I said before, I don't think it's ever going to be normal again. Yeah. Um, you know, well, there's a new we normal. Certainly normal, have problems. normal is relative. Yeah, normal's relative. Yeah. 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 Wow. You know, and it, it definitely hits kids. I mean, right now the New York City uh, public school system is being flooded with children coming in who have um, needs for, for um, English, their English language learners. Yes. We yes. need TESOL teachers. We definitely need yes, counselors. We um, oh, and so short we just of don't that, have those psychologists. Yeah. It's, it, it's, yeah. it's unbelievable. We're so, we need it more than ever, and we're so short of it now. And the more we attack education, and the more we attack teachers, if I may, professors, okay, the more we do that, the less obviously people don't want to take a job where they're going to be attacked. So fewer and fewer yeah. people get into it, okay? And it just becomes, as we always like to say, a vicious cycle. 
okay? And it, it has to stop, and teachers and educators have to take the offense and not be on the defense, okay? And you talked about retroactive and proactive. That's kind of what I'm talking about here, okay? We, you have to really, really do this. You know, and the other thing you talked about, which I thought was really important, was, and you brought up that, that teacher, okay, who was teaching with the newborn, talking about early childhood, okay? Well, how did this affect the early childhood side of this? Which, by the way, uh, we were very much, uh, we're concerned about always here because early childhood, uh, is, is, you know, I'll use the old cliche, you build a good foundation, you get a pretty good house. And if you don't, you don't get yeah. a pretty good house. And early childhood is really key. Do you want to talk about that for a minute? Go ahead. Well, I mean, it, it's, it's really difficult because what happened was we have always been taught green time is detrimental to young children. And then suddenly we have this switch where it's all about screen time. Right. And, right. you know, the, the reason that Sesame Street was successful was these flashing colors and these, you know, catchy songs and moving from, from moment to moment. Well, teaching isn't like that. So That's trying right. to get these, these children excited by what was going on virtually was extremely difficult. And parents really needed to sit next to their kids and redirect them all the time to get them online. And these yeah. are for people who are lucky enough Instead to have Instead of World of Warfare, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, what I found, too, is it really highlighted the needs for us to really communicate with parents. We suddenly got a window oh, yeah. into their world. Oh, yeah. And parents got a window into ours. And it changed a whole level of communication. Um, one of the things I was doing a practicum where I was watching teachers teach online during the pandemic and parents would come wow. on and the teacher would be doing a lesson about ABCs and they would bring out a ball and they would say, what letter does the ball begin with? And the parent would say, what color is the ball? What color is the ball? And the teacher's trying to do a lesson on the letters. The parent is taking it in another direction. But they had oh, to change God. their tack. They had to then say, to the parents, this is what the lesson is about beforehand, and they had to get them involved in a way they've never done before, and hopefully that will stick now that the schools have opened back up. And, you know, and it that communication up level. A, a very interesting thing. You teach at Toro Graduate. Actually, just tell, we'll just tell everybody about Toro Graduate School of Education. Just tell them about that real quick. You teach there. Well, it, yes, I teach there. It's, it's a terrific place. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. You know, what I like about it is we have a really interesting – our students are so diverse. You know, we have students who are just hitting the field for the first time in their careers, and we have, because it's early childhood, been in the field for a long period of time and are coming back to get their master's degrees as the laws change. So they're really seasoned. And it's a very interesting mix of students who are coming in, and they teach everywhere from District 75 schools, from special education schools, to yeshivas, to public schools. So you really get this broader sense of, of curriculum and experiences. Um, and so it's, it's a really interesting, diverse place to work. It's, a, it's, it's an excellent school, an excellent reputation, which brings me <clears> – <throat> excuse me <clears> – <throat> Getting a little cloggy here, okay? Which brings me to this: when you're everything you've written about and everything you're saying, <clears throat> excuse me, is right, okay? Now you're a professor, okay? Associate professor of I mean of early childhood special ed at Toro Graduate School of Education, okay? Which is a damn good school. 
when you talk to you, when you look at your syllabus and when you talk to your colleagues, okay, how have they changed what the way they're teaching people to teach based on what's happening now? Because you, you just, I mean, there's, it's, it's, it's turbulent out there, okay? They, it we is can't teach people the same way anymore, okay? Because everything's, you just said it, everything's changed, okay? There's a new yeah. normal, if I may, okay? So we can't go with the old normal. All right. I know it's hard to talk to your colleagues because they, every professor likes to do it their own way, but there's got to be a, a sea change out there. What's your thoughts on that as you talk well, to your fellows? Well, it's definitely changed. Our, our students really prepare, they really want to have virtual classes. And this doesn't mean that it's always online. I mean, they want to get that it's always asynchronous. Some prefer synchronous classes. Mm-hmm. But the students as a whole, now that they've experienced, because they have families, you know, they're working full time. The idea of running across town to sit in the classroom for three hours as opposed to being able to turn on your computer, be able to sort of turn around and at the end of it help your kids with their homework or do the things that need to be done is now something that they they really want. And I remember as a graduate student, um, I was doing the same thing. I was, you know, working full time. I was, you know, writing my my thesis, running across town to get to my classes, then running back to make dinner for my family. It's a lot. Um, And I think that there's some really scary things about what's come out of the pandemic. But one of the wonderful things is we can actually teach this way. And students can actually have a valuable experience in the virtual world. Yeah, they so I think that's been an amazing change. Yeah. And it just, I mean, keep it up. There's something else you do, and I want to ask you about this, okay, besides writing your book and teaching and everything else. You're co-director of something called, which I, I love the pun here, the New Deal, but it's D-E-E-L, <laughs> okay, the Democratic Ethical Educational Leadership, okay? That, that's what this group, what is that? Talk to the New Deal, tell the D-E-E-L. Well, Talk to me about that. My, you're, my, the direct, my, you're the co-director. Just in case I am the co-director. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, this was, a, this was established when the accountability movement was really highly charged. And everything was really about standardized testing. And mm-hmm. this is about a different way of looking at leadership. So, so during that time, a lot of leaders were taking on all the responsibilities for school, this this heroic form of leadership. And the New Deal really is a a discussion about getting leaders to do democratic leadership, to to look to teachers for leadership, to look to the community, to look to uh, parents for leadership, so that it becomes more of a joint process. And it's not that top-down process where it's, you know, we need the scores. It's looking at schools holistically. And so I think, you know, even though this kind of movement has been around really since like the Lucy Sprague Mitchell times, you know, in in 1870s or whatever that was, you know, the idea is that it all, you know, we we really need the community involved. We really need teachers to feel empowered and we really need um, families to feel empowered too. I I couldn't agree with you more. That's great. Is that that part of Toro or is that something separate, New Deal? No, it, it comes out of Temple University, actually. Temple. My wife, my wife went yep. to Temple. Yep. Oh. <laughs> Everybody I knew in Philly went to Temple except me. I went to Westchester. Okay. Yep. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> there you go. That's amazing. 
Okay. Thank you. This is great. And you're co-director, so you're heading down to Philly every so often, right? To do to, to co-director. I am, yeah. All right. Let me. I, I love it I there. Have to go, and you should. Okay. Now <laughs> let me help you here. Okay. Starting tomorrow, the World Series and the Phillies unexpectedly are playing the Astros. Okay, you got that? I got it. Okay, good. good. You, you will be highly <laughs> – you, you don't want to walk into Philly without knowing that this anytime that soon. That's true. Okay, I just want to <laughs> – Bryce Harper, that's the name. Just drop that name. Bryce okay, Harper. Okay, got it. That's all you have to know. <laughs> just say to somebody, how about that Bryce Harper? And you, you're done, okay? You got it? Okay. Bryce Harper. I, I, I've just I got given it. you a PhD in Philadelphia, or the PH stands for Philadelphia. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Get a steak sandwich. Think of me, okay? It's a pleasure to know you, okay. Susan. Thanks for being here. You're you wonderful. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, <laughs> thank you, Susan, from Philadelphia. Susan Shapiro, Associate Professor of Early Childhood. And this is no joke. Her book, Interpreting COVID-19 Through Turbulent Theory. Basically, we're talking about how to react to this in your school. It's cases from early childhood and special ed, and I'll tell my friends over at uh, Case about it as well so they, so they know about it. Okay, this is really good stuff. Case of the Council of Administrators of Special Ed. Okay, thank you, Susan. We're going to – boy, my voice is so crackly. Hold on. <clears throat> we're going to archive the show at ace-ed.org. I don't know where this is coming from. Ace-ed.org. Please go over there. See all the stuff we do. I'm Larry Jacobs. This is Pre-K-12 Education Talk Radio. Thanks for listening. And go Phillies, by the way. I should say that. Sorry, Houston. Go Phillies. <laughs> <laughs>